0: much Sarah um, for inviting me and thank you all Uh, for those of you who I've met it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about your work and for those of you who I haven't I look forward to chatting with you afterward and for the rest of this week Um, I know that they're probably not here but thanks also to the rest of the staff for feeding me I I love snacking and so having everything available 24 7 is really amazing gift Um, I'm going to read some poems. I'm going to read some poems from Hour of the Ox. I'm going to read a couple translations, and then, um, if you all don't mind, I'm going to read a couple new poems, too, that have never been read aloud. Um, So, Hour of the Ox was my graduate thesis, um, and one of the things that I was doing was just randomly writing poems and then my professor said, you're not going to graduate <laughs> if you don't write poems faster. And so he asked me, you know, what is it that you really want? And I said, um, I don't know. And so he said, well, what does poetry mean to you right now? And I said, it, it's, a, it's a mode of figuring out what it means to be an Asian American woman in the world right now. Uh, and so, <coughs> this, these poems were a way of imagining. Um, I'm a transracial adoptee, so I was raised by non-Koreans. Um, I came over as a baby and I uh, don't really have access to a lot of Korean heritage, a lot of language and history that other people have through their family. And so, this was my way of imagining my own family into existence and what might have been. And and what is also, uh, so this, this first poem in the book is kind of like uh, setting the stage, if you will. And I know that the, some of these poems may sound a little depressing, but I wanted this to be a poem of, uh, of joy to start off the book, so it's called Anti-Elegy. Anti-Elegy. For my mother, who twisted her hair every day into a knot held by a wooden pin, Knobbed with jade. For my father, who combed our island looking for the most deformed trees, measured water into the shallow bases of his bonsai sprigs, waited years for me to grow into my long fingers. For grandmother, whose skin smelled of seaweed, who asked me always to eat the sweet abalone porridge with her. For what the sea gives up and asks to be returned, for the tide. For the water deer who moved and mated the night my brother first wept as though offering their own children to our grief. For my brother who did not die, no matter how many times we killed him, for we are not our own. Um, So I, I like to think about poetry prompt. Uh, a lot, <laughs> because I'm always getting stuck. And this poem um, came from one of the first, one of the first prompts that I felt like was one I could carry with me, and it w- uh, someone asked me, what, is, what does America mean to you? And it's really applicable every <laughs> month, it feels like, to look at it anew. Um, so in, in 2014, this is, this is what I was thinking, um, and I think it would be very different now, but this poem, It was my version of America at the time. It's called Old Country, New World. Although my sweaters were already rolled and tucked around stone cooking pots, packages of dried flat squid and fish in a borrowed half-centuried suitcase, mama burned a bouquet of candles that last night, plucking pearls from the cold bowl of water to string on waxed red threads. I said, Americans do not barter. Everything costs exactly what it says. In silence, she clipped each loose end carefully, close to the knots, with large, ancient shears. Although I did not know it, Mama sewed pearls into my skin, each vertebra, each tooth and eyelash stitched in salt lace dew and the ash of incanted incense strung with a thread of old blood. She said white is funerary back home. Red is for good luck, still unraveling in her hands and across her lap, entire tapestries between us. Mama don't miss me, I will eat enough. I said to the phone because I did and didn't, could still taste desire taut as the skin of an umbrella over its ribs. Here, darkness is pinned back like long black hair, from the phosphorescence of this new city. Enormous apples, umbral faces, a thousand languages in the same breath. Even the air spins its own guttural songs in coral and gold, malachite green and porcelain blue. Of all the colors oiled into the crow's feathers, only their throats are crimson. Once more, I roll my tongue over the old grain of longing, Patient as an oyster with its seed. Um, So this next poem is probably the oldest one in the book. Uh, It went through about 27 revisions. So for those of you who are struggling with revision, uh, (laughs) keep going. (laughs) Uh, So this poem is called Vase of Ashes. In the streetlight, where all the exiles congregate, my shadows walk below me in upturned collars, nodding their heads without recognition. And one is the lover I lost just by trying, and two are the vices I've never fought down. But I am still standing here at the window, because the light from this lamp is yours. And my light is the bite of ginger cognac in an empty apartment pinned with postcards from somewhere I couldn't be. I am looking for the dawn because in some other street, lit in some other city, you are Heracles, bracing your foot against a boulder, your back arched like an unstrung bow. You are falling into the sea. I place the corner of a postcard on my tongue to taste your name, one more time. Uh, So the central theme in this book is uh, sort of following a family uh, from the perspective of of the daughter. Um, In Korea, there's a little island off the southern peninsula called Jeju Island. um, And some of you may have heard of it. it. they're known for actually being a, a matriarchal society and a very patriarchal <laughs> uh, culture. Um, and some of it has to do with a lot of the history there, but um, they're most famous for their pearl divers, which are these women who can hold their breath for like three minutes at a time and free dive without any equipment. Uh, and they harvest abalone and octopi and all these other things. Um, and I had read an article in the New York Times that was featuring them and saying that uh, it's a dying art because a lot of the younger women are not going into the profession. So there's all these women who are like 60, 70, 80 years old, and they're kind of the last of this generation of pearl divers. Um, And in thinking about what it meant to me to be a Korean American woman and not have access to heritage, I was thinking um, that sort of cutting off from an island to the mainland uh, felt very similar to my own sense of cutoff across the ocean. And so um, this poem was imagining that I was one of them. Um, and the only thing that maybe you need to know there's a couple Korean words in here. and Henya is what they call the pearl divers. and arirang is, is kind of like their Korea's national anthem. It 's not their official anthem. it's kind of like their own official anthem, but every Korean would, would know this song. Uh, So this poem is called The Pearl Diver's Daughters. We are the pearl diver's daughters, skinning the ocean of her abalone scales, planting oyster seeds in each other's vertebrae. Our mothers carved veins into the sea with reinvented air, wrists scarred in rows and rings, octopi and coral, legs scissoring against the sun, the space between their thighs profound as trenches. Henya, We name them, pearl divers whose songs build and blossom like barrel fires or anemones. They press our shoulders against the ribs of whale sharks, our palms on dotted black rays. We graze our fingers through damselfish schools, but our appetites are as insatiate as the sea is for land. We gnaw the shore, legs wound in seaweed, skin flayed by the tongues of clams, pulling, pushing. Arirang, our mothers say, patriotically, and cities bloom from our spines, rooting us to cartographies, thumbing our eyes into sand-locked jewels. We are the pearl divers' daughters, our sisters' skirts are hemmed in coral, our brothers are cloud-eyed eels. Arirang, we say, our futures pearled into every empty shell, our tongues pressed against the words until we become them. Uh, this poem uh, was made from YouTube, uh, so if you are looking for inspiration, I highly recommend going down the rabbit hole of YouTube. Um, I I was looking <laughs> was looking at all the different creatures that are indigenous to to Cheju Island, and and um, one of them is the the sea urchin, which is a huge part of the of their culture there. Their, in their food. Um, And so I watched a lot of videos of just watching sea urchins moving around on the ocean floor. So there were no sea urchins that were harmed in the making of this poem. I just want to put that out there. Okay. (laughs) It's called The Sea Urchin. Um, Grandmother kept a diver's knife strapped to her thigh. Daily before the night could fray into dawn, she dived half a mile from shore, inhaling three minutes of air at a time. All morning, she pried abalone and sea urchins from slick rock. Once, when she returned, I counted the stiff lines around her mouth, which never seemed to open, but could swallow entire tides. On my birthday, she brought me a ball of spines in a bucket, lifted its bit of ocean into my cupped hands. The creature's round mouth explored the cracks of my palm, tasting the salt on my skin, recoiling. An offering like the pincushions I often brought my mother, every needle threaded with a different color. Grandmother boiled garlic, soybeans, salt into broth, ladled the seaweed soup into a white bowl. She turned the urchin and broke it open, scooped out the ochre roe with a spoon, dropped it in among the kelp. How it sank like a sun into the murk and dissolved. I spooned mouthfuls at a time as she harvested the rest of the body's cavern, a move as practiced as mending her thick black diving skins and nets. Her fingers were steady against the spines. What I remember is not the sweetness or the slickness, but the heat rising from the broth, a mouth wide enough to swallow the needles and flesh of the sea." Uh, Another thread in this book is that there's a A brother uh, who keeps returning in the poems and in each poem he returns as a different different form of a ghost Um, and so this poem was inspired by um, when when Japan had the nuclear melt nuclear reactor meltdown several years ago um, they called for volunteers to plant fields of sunflowers because sunflowers are uh, able to draw the toxins out of water and soil and purify and kind of reset the land. And so they were putting all of these sunflowers, So it was all these stunning fields um, of bright yellow, gorgeous flowers, but not thinking about, you know, people, tourists would, would look at the pictures and be like, how gorgeous, but really thinking about the history of, of that particular moment. Um, and also the sunflower is in fact, the most functional flower, because it is not only beautiful, but you can eat it and you only need one And that's, you know, a bouquet (laughs) because they're so big. Um, So this poem is a kind of combination of many things coming together. Uh, So this poem is called Brother Returns as Sunflower. As a stranger, you glanced over my shoulder on the train. I was reading about 24 sunflowers set in ponds near Chernobyl after the plume. Attention to the sky, roots hungry for earth, inhaling blight and metal into themselves any two blossoms touching only once. They had no mouths for each other, no hands, only faces with one dark eye dimming even as the water clarified. Like the fading smell of dry rain in soil, your hair, what we meant to say and will not remember, what we should have done in the husk of this life. Um, I'm gonna shift to, I'm checking my time here. I'm gonna shift to, um, I know I don't think it's over there, but uh, The World's Lightest Motorcycle, the translations, uh, I, I would like to, to honor the work of, of the, the Korean poet Ewan and my co-translator, E.J. Ko, who is a stunning poet and memoirist uh, herself. She's also multi-genre. We worked on these poems under the mentorship of the incredible poet and translator, Don Miche, who, if you don't know her work, I I highly, highly recommend it. Um, And her most recent book is DMZ Colony, and it was a book that, when I read it, it felt like coming home in a way that I think no other poet had before for me, in the way that she captured work, her imagery, um, there's photographs included and all kinds of stuff. And she was a really incredible mentor, and uh, for these poems, what might be useful to know about Lee is that she uh, came up in the 90s with a second wave of Korean feminism, which is very, a little bit further behind from American feminism, and um, she is known for bringing in Buddhist tradition into contemporary technological landscapes. Uh, and so her, her poetry is very different from mine and uh, it, it's kind of broken open a lot of things for me just craft-wise. So I wanted to share some of her work with you because da- these are definitely poems that I carry with me a lot. Um, one of her favorites to read actually, which I would like to start with, is called Dar- Dark and Bulging TV and Me. Um, one, a TV from 1990 and my body, made in 1968, are inside a darkness. A camel and time were left in a desert. Moonlight vaguely tainted the TV from 1990, and my body from 1968 is dark and bulging. In 1968, I crouch. I peer like a ghost into the 1990 TV. Two. The TV from 1990 and my body from 1968. Products with the year they were made. Products with serial numbers. Products that scald. Bulky products. Somehow the TV in my body won't turn off. The TV broadcasts me to my body. TV dumped at the Nanji Island landfill. Water inside the dark, bulging TV. Body underwater the well that can't be opened, the window that can't be turned off, things crouching in the darkness, fluttering things. Three, inside me is the father of an indisputable rumor, not decomposing, who has been dead 20 years, rusted spade, rusted teardrop, pair of feet dented by scrap metal, bone and brass spoon, goat's eyes full of sand, shattered mirror, plastic bag, shooting star, the end of spring, the last drum of spring caught on the setting sun. The water inside the sun can't cross the horizon. A field of stones, midnight's dark and bulging TV. Two rows of graves are connected to the TV with cables. Two more. Self-portrait. I put my head on display at Ilsan Market, but after several days, no one bought it. I put my head up for auction online, but got a notification that when you click my head, an hourglass appears, a loading error. I take my head to the flea market, but somebody blows it up like a balloon, and my wrinkled head gradually smooths out, and my mouth chews on somebody else's fingerprints, and to my great relief, my mouth has yet to howl. In uh, translating, I, you know, I'm an English major, I'm a poet, I thought I knew the English language pretty darn well. <laughs> and then I started translating uh, and I realized how little I actually know about the English language. Um, and one of the things that, that is unique to Korean is that there is no punctuation. Uh, the structure of the sentence indicates where it ends. So if you look at the, like a Korean text, there's no punctuation to to help you visually guide yourself um and so one of the things that that the poet and and we were talking together is she was like well punctuation is a construct of the western canon um and i was like oh yes of course it is right it's not something that you think about over here and but she so she was like i was like well what about all these poems that have commas in it because If you don't have a period, you shouldn't have a comma in Korean poetry, right? And she said, well, the comma is a gentle pause, right? Um, And so what she's trying to do is break up not only the Korean syntax, but also the expectations of American or English syntax. Um, And so she, we would translate these, this series of poems that she had with all of these randomly placed commas, and she was like, more. And I was like, but there's, you know, it's the same number of commas from the original. She's like more commas. You need more <laughs> disruption, more revolution. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> you're the poet. I'm glad you're still alive. We can ask you these questions. <laughs> so I'm going to read you one of these poems, um, and it may sound a little bit strange. Uh, I do encourage you uh, to pick up this book, not just because uh, it is a, a dear project to my heart, but also because our publisher, Zephyr Press put the English on one side and the Korean on the other, so you can also make your own visual uh, comparisons. But this is one of my favorite poems uh, in terms of translation process and also in terms of just conversations that surrounded it. And it's called Chalkok Chalkok, which is Tick, 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 Tick. She sits in a chair, stares at the closed front, door from beneath the world's, door the shadow noiselessly pauses, Halt. The shadow strikes the vanishing. World, the shadow moves. She stays still, stares at the shadow. Tick, tick. The shadow disappears. She continues to stare at the door, pours water into a cup. The world sloshes. There's an empty road inside the sloshing sound. The world spills over the side of the cup. Suddenly the sound of screeching, she throws the cup hard, she flops down on her bed, time's crinkled hem under the blanket, she strokes the blanket while staring at the door, a thin ray of light seeps through the world's door, the shadow enters again from beneath little by little, coming further into the room, the room darkens, the cup dries up to the point of combusting, she turns on the faucet, the world jammed up inside the faucet, gushes out. The world splatters over her, too. In an instant, she's wearing layers of the world. She stretches out her hand. She searches for her wristwatch. She finds it buried beneath the evening paper. She stares at the lock on the world's door as she picks up her watch. Inside the world, the digital wristwatch ticks, ticks, ticks. The watch is moving, inside time's hollow world. Um, On behalf of my translator, my co-translator who's not here, uh, this is one of the poems that she really worked on the most. uh, And it's a series of mirror poems. um, And so this one is is, uh, for her who's not here, E.J. um, It's called I Miss My Face. My face opens the mirror and goes inside. I follow, but my face locks up the mirror. I look for the door in the mirror. The mirror is slippery and calm. Cloud engraved tiles stick to each side of my face. My face becomes time on the wall. I lean against the night that reaches behind me. Night doesn't rifle through me. I can't give up the night because I'm a horror. A horror is love, so there's nothing to do but embrace it. The mirror knows this, so my face in the mirror opens its mouth on my behalf. The night inside the mirror peels my face line by line. My bare flesh sprouts new leaves and grows dark as if it's about to bear blooms. Since I can't find the door, the night ceases to end my face becomes unfamiliar to me. Before I turn away from the mirror, the back of my head appears. Love is a horror, so I walk out from the mirror. Short a few steps, I miss my face, vanished into the mirror's night. And I'm gonna end um, with three new poems. Um. And you all can give me your honest opinion after the reading. I would be open to it. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about, in this, I've been working on this second book for maybe seven years, so maybe this will be the lucky seventh year. Um, I'm a very slow writer, and so I've, I've taken out poems, i put them back in, um, and I feel like I get maybe two, two or three more poems every time I do that, so I have a long ways to go. Uh, But I am interrogating the idea of the trifecta of adoption. Um, So there's the adoptee, and then there's the birth mother, and then there's uh, the adoptive mother. And of course there are more people involved, but these are the main, most influential people, I think, in the conversations about adoption. Um, Part of the reason that I am interested in working on these here is As much as I would like to unplug, I'm also uh, keeping an eye on what's happening in the news right now, and I am coming from Miami, Florida, which is a historically conservative state, and as an Asian person in the state of Florida, and as a woman in the state of Florida, uh, I feel like uh, suddenly some of the poems in my book started popping out. Um, So these poems are me thinking about when birth rates go down in the country, uh, reproductive rights and laws, they get attacked, but also adoption policies start skyrocketing, um, and so that's part of the balance is uh, the argument, uh, and I do not appreciate as an adoptee (laughs) being part of the argument um, against my will, and so some of these poems, I think, are me trying to figure out how to say what I wanna say um, to the world. So this first poem is called Portrait of the First Mother, and it's based on the, the Inuit legend of Sedna, the goddess um, of the underworld, the under-ocean. Um, and so it's, it, there's a, I, I, if you don't know Sedna, I would recommend it's a great story. There's different versions of it. Um, but I am looking specifically at uh, different characters uh, in mythology and, and history and kind of creating portraits of them from my perspective. So this poem is called Portrait of the First Mother. Did no man apologize to you because you would not marry knowing you deserved better? Did the seabirds apologize for their falseness? Not even your own father afraid to keep you, afraid to be rid of you, who flung you from your kayak when the ghosts came for you severed your fingers, your wrists, as you clung to the edge of the boat. Forgiveness, Sedna. We honor the work of your hands. Your knuckles current the ocean like seals. Your palms press whales into storms of song, untangling your hair in the deep. We pour fresh water into the mouths of our quarry, for we feed our own by the cold rivers of your blessing. Forgive us for forgetting you, queen of the dead. Woman made ice because we did not let you live or let you live well. Um, I'm also in this new book very interested in the collective mob voice, which I think it might be a product of Twitter (laughs) Um, and living in the ear of technology and anonymity. Uh, So this poem is one of the we voices that i'm thinking of there there are not many models for me i think where the we is separate from the I in speaking in poetry Um, and so it's it's all an experiment so this poem is called on division on division we will take your children as tribute My people, we love to divide eye from eye, blade after blade of grass at the border between heaven and war. We take the seam of your spine, your fingers zippered in prayer. We take your prayers, your hymns, and still we take the horizon stitched together with light, hemispheres twinned in the brain. We take the light years between dead stars you moth move toward. We take the milky path you keep trying to trace back home. Instead of orbit, slingshot. Instead of orbit, event horizon. We take your devouring for our hungers. We take the water parting like legs to let more water, more blood. We take the children that come forth, divisible by divisible nation. We take the child and divide it of its mother, country, language. The body is a border we take. The child is a body we take. We will multiply and divide. We will adapt and adopt. We will return them as war, and you will forgive them by war. I'm gonna end with a poem about raccoons. Shifting gears a little bit. Uh, I don't know if any of you, are any of you from like the Twin Cities, Minneapolis region? Probably not, okay. Um, if any of you dive deep enough into Twitter, this is totally a Twitter poem. Um, the only reason that I, I'm on Twitter is because one I was teaching and one of my students was like, you really need to see this raccoon that was caught climbing up this building in St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minneapolis area, um, in Minnesota. And it was like, the one thing everyone could cheer for <laughs> in the world <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I, now I have to get Twitter for this. Um, and <laughs> uh, this was also when uh, Game of Thrones was still happening, like the really bad last season, you know? Um, so that's how long ago this was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I will say, I will preface this by saying that everything in this poem is true. So remember that. And thank you all for listening. Um, and I think there is a Q&A afterward. Uh, So, (laughs) I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Uh, So this poem is called Even America's Dearest Underdog. I start class asking about everyone's weekend. And one girl says she's obsessed with this raccoon, but I have no idea what she's talking about, so together the whole class directs me into the Twitterverse for clips and snaps, and lo and behold, a raccoon is shimmying up a concrete building, arms and legs splayed to find impossible claw holds between the 12th and 13th floor windows, while all of St. Paul, then the country, then our classroom is cheering her on as she presses her whole body against the glass on 23rd for any kind of report And only now do experts start asking, what would possess a raccoon to climb to such concrete heights? And the Twitterverse can't help responding because we all need a win, like Jon Snow scaling the wall, which is a metaphor for his loyalty to the red-headed lover and her wildling people, even though some of them are trying to cut him loose. And I am about to comment to my students that maybe this raccoon is working towards something just as noble. But then I think of the glass wall that the 45th is trying to build, and I remember, Remember, too, that just last week, these same students told me that racism is black and white and clear and doesn't exist for bodies like theirs and bodies like mine and every unnoticeable fade in between. And now the authorities are picking up the raccoon from the roof and putting her in a cat carrier from the animal trap and carting her off to no one knows where. And all I can hear is the newscaster saying, don't worry, we got her. We caught her when she made it to the top. Thank you.